Faith, Hope and Love, episode 176, the 23rd Sunday in Ordinary Time, Year C. Being a fully-fledged follower of Jesus means accepting a value system that is often at odds with other values. This can lead to us being ridiculed and ostracised. Throughout history, it's led to people losing their friends, family members, their reputation, their position in society, and even their lives. The cost is worth it, but our Lord wants us to know that the values of the kingdom of God will turn on its head many values of the world. Those benefiting from keeping things the way they always were are not going to surrender their position or privilege easily. Divisions aren't desired by our Lord, but he warns us that there are no fence-sitters in the kingdom of God. We have to jump in wholeheartedly and be prepared for the opposition, which will not fight fair. Sadly, those who oppose Christ's values are opposing his vision of true justice, of compassion, of inclusion, love and peace. This is Faith, Hope and Love. But then we will see as people face to face No longer partly, but fully known and loved For faith, hope and love abide And the greatest one is love You are just, O Lord, and your judgment is right. Treat your servant in accord with your merciful love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you. Hello everyone. On this 23rd Sunday of the year, we unite our heart and mind to reflect upon God's word. And so, brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins so as to prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. Have mercy on us, O Lord, for we have sinned against you. Show us, O Lord, your mercy and grant us your salvation. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to people of good Lord Jesus.
Jesus Christ, only begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father. You take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our seated at the right hand of the Father, have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ. With the Holy Spirit in the glory us pray. O God, by whom we are redeemed and receive adoption, look graciously upon your beloved sons and daughters, that those who believe in Christ may receive true freedom and an everlasting inheritance. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, for ever and ever. Amen. A reading from the Book of Wisdom, chapter 9, verses 13 to 18. For who can learn the counsel of God? Or who can discern what the Lord wills? For the reasoning of mortals is worthless, and our designs are likely to fail. For a perishable body weighs down the soul, and this earthly tent burdens the thoughtful mind. We can hardly guess at what is on earth, and what is at hand we find with labour. But who has traced out what is in the heavens? Who has learned your counsel, unless you have given wisdom and sent your Holy Spirit from on high? And thus the paths of those on earth were set right, and people were taught what pleases you, and were saved by wisdom. The Word of the Lord In every age, O Lord, you have been our refuge. You turn men back into dust, and say, Go back, sons of men. To your eyes a thousand years are like yesterday, come and gone, no more than a watch in the night. You sweep men away like a dream, like grass which springs up in the morning. In the morning it springs up and flowers, by evening it withers and fades. Make us know the shortness of our life, that we may gain wisdom of heart. Lord, relent. Is your anger for ever? Show pity to your servants. In the morning fill us with your love. We shall exult and rejoice all our days. Let the favour of the Lord be upon us. Give success to the work of our hands. In every age, O oh Lord, you have been our refuge.
A reading from the letter of St. Paul to Philemon. Chapter 9, verses 10 and 12 to 17. Beloved, I, Paul, do this as an old man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I am appealing to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. I am sending him, that is, my own heart, back to you. I wanted to keep him with me, so that he might be of service to me in your place, during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent. In order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while, so that you might have him back forever, no longer a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. The Word of the Lord Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Let your face shine on your servant, and teach me your laws. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 to 33. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, spouse and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even their life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with ten thousand to oppose the one who comes against him with twenty thousand? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, whoever of you does not give up all their possessions cannot be my disciple. The Gospel of the Lord. Why would our Lord counsel his followers to hate their families and even their own lives? It seems contrary to the consistent message of love, inclusion, mercy and graciousness that our Lord has been proclaiming throughout his whole ministry. As William Barclay, the scripture commentator, mentions, when Jesus made his declaration, he was on the road to Jerusalem. He knew he was on his way to surrender everything for all of us. He was there to suffer on the cross, 
and the crowds who were with him thought he was on his way to an empire, to an earthly victory. No wonder he turned around and said to them quite clearly and bluntly in this way, Don't you realise the cost of coming and following me? In the most vivid way possible, he told them that anyone who wanted to follow him was definitely not on the road to worldly power and glory, but rather they must be ready for a loyalty which would sacrifice the dearest things in life and ready for suffering, which would be like the agony of a man on the cross. And for Christ himself and some of his closest disciples, literally such agony. But it's important that we understand his words as intended and with all the nuance of the Eastern language with which it was spoken, which is always as vivid as the human mind can make it. When Christ tells us to hate our nearest and dearest, he does not mean that literally. He means that no love in life can compare with the love we must bear to God. Christ knew if anyone who followed him had any second priorities, or had him lower than first, then when the very first of many challenges came along, when threats of suffering came along, these people would fall away swiftly. So this passage today teaches us two things. Firstly, it's possible to be a follower of Jesus without being a disciple. To follow the army, so to speak, wherever it went, without being a soldier of the monarch. To be a hanger-on in some great work without pulling one's weight, without signing up and actually being fully-fledged. There's a modern-day story of a person who is talking to a great scholar about another person who is name-dropping him in connection to that scholar. So-and-so tells me that he was one of your students. The great scholar replied, devastatingly, He may have attended my lectures, but he was not one of my students. It's the same in the Christian church. There are many distant followers of Jesus, but how many of us are actually real disciples as well? The second point of this passage is that it's the Christian's first duty to count the cost of following Christ, to be aware of what we're being asked. But if we're daunted by the high demands of Christ, Let's remember that we're not left to fulfill this task alone. Christ, who called us to this steep path, promises to walk with us every step of the way. And in fact, he went ahead of us. And then he's going to be there to meet us in the end. Our Lord's constant practical example and his wider teaching show us that we must love and cherish our family and loyally keep our commitments and our duties that we owe to our parents and our family. Our Lord saved one of his most stinging criticisms for people who used religious excuses to justify neglecting their duty to parents and family. So when our Lord says in the Gospel that we should hate our lives or families, the actual point of Christ's message today is not to reject or abandon the bonds of family, the ties of blood, which are very deep, but actually to widen our vision of family. So Jesus is telling his disciples that his definition of family includes not only our traditional ties of blood relations, but also to include all who follow Christ and act on his word and who hold the values of the kingdom. So in fact, all people. And he means that to be taken absolutely seriously. Also, we do know that Jesus had a deep respect and love for his family. 
both his earthly family and of course his heavenly father. So faithfulness to Christ and love and respect of our family obviously does not need to be a contradiction. Hopefully our faith and values and our relationship to our family and friends will be mutually consistent and supportive. May we hope and pray that that is so for most people. But if there is a choice having to be made between following God and remaining a part of a family, then something must have gone horribly awry in that family. What Jesus is asking here is, you've got to be in this discipleship thing 100%. Half measures will never do. Being the body of Christ makes us complete sharers in the life of Jesus. And our Lord was never known to do things by half measures. There may very well be a bit of hating going on in the time of Christ's ministry, though the hating was not by Jesus or his followers. Rather, some people clearly hated Christ's message. They wanted to destroy him and his message, to persecute his disciples, precisely because they're seen to be welcoming outsiders and strangers into the family fold, whom they think should not be there. So unintended but very real conflicts and loss will be suffered because of choosing to follow Christ, because people are included in Jesus' plan who others think should be left out. Hatred and persecution will come from those who are very comfortable with the things as they are, because they're doing very well, thanks very much, while others are doing very badly. Any change in this situation would be detrimental to them, and helpful to others, and they won't stand for that. The plain truth is, our goal is not merely to be a good person and to avoid doing wrong, as good as that is. But being a disciple of Christ is the goal. Discipleship is an expensive proposition. It takes everything we have. Jesus needs us to give all we have in energy and time. Why is the price so high? Because the stakes are so high. And the kingdom is filled with wonderful values and virtues that are worth fighting for and are life-giving and lasting. Christ is asking us to put our lives and energy and our resources into the service of his plans for building up the kingdom of God, radically transforming values. Our Lord knows that following him will lead to tension and pain. Christ doesn't want this. He doesn't want family rejection, but because his message includes more people into the family than others under the old system can cope with, in our Lord's kingdom, water is thicker than blood, the water of baptism that is. In the kingdom, the waters of baptism bind us even more closely and more infinitely importantly than the utterly deep ties of family. That shows us how deep our connection is with God. And so this turns the whole system on its head. If people everywhere extended to all the same loyalty and unconditional bond of generosity and care that we share with people who are related to us, what a different world it would be. And it would be a world ever closer to the vision of Christ's kingdom. We see a wonderful example of this transformation in St. Paul in the second reading. He's a truly inspiring disciple of Christ, and he speaks about a fellow Christian, a runaway slave, who has now become like a son to him because he's now a fellow disciple and brother in Christ. 
Paul writes to another disciple and begs him to accept his runaway slave, but no longer as a slave, but now as a brother in Christ. This is perfectly consistent with Jesus' gospel. There's a considerable change to the lives and relationships that people have when they become a true disciple of Christ. Things change dramatically. Old values and old ways end. Old advantages and old arrangements are changed. The owner of that slave has paid a huge price for becoming a Christian. He's lost his slave, whom he bought. This slave is now according to the Christian understanding, a free person, an equal. Because in Christ there's no distinction between slave and free, we're all free. Whatever happened to Onesimus, this runaway slave? Was he freed, as Paul requested quite strongly? Let's move on about 50 years. St Ignatius, one of the great Christian martyrs, is being taken to execution from Antioch to Rome. As he goes, he writes letters which still survive to the churches of Asia Minor. He stops at Smyrna and writes to the church at Ephesus. And in the first chapter of that letter, he has much to say about their wonderful bishop. And what is the bishop's name? It is Onesimus. And Ignatius makes exactly the same pun as Paul did in his letter. He is Onesimus. The name Onesimus translates as profitable. So, this man is profitable by name and profitable by nature. He is now profitable and useful for Christ. It may very well be that same runaway slave has now become, with the passing of years, the great Bishop of Ephesus. How wonderful are God's ways! Well worth staying on this very difficult path. The Apostles' Creed I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. As a people called to follow Christ, let us pray that we may be given the strength to be faithful to our calling. that members of the Church may have the courage and generosity to take on increasing responsibility for the Church's works of education and evangelization. Lord, hear us. That the leaders of our country may come among us not to be served, but to serve. that those who are imprisoned for their beliefs may draw strength from the example of St. Paul. Lord, hear us. That those who suffer mentally or physically may experience the liberating love of Christ through the ministry of his compassionate followers.
for all who are in ill health and those who care for them, that the Lord will give them strength, healing and peace. Lord, hear us, that those who have died may rest in peace, especially those for whom we now pray. Lord, hear us. Lord our God, we ask you to hear the prayers in our hearts and in the hearts of all your people. We make our prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. O God, who give us the gift of true prayer and of peace, graciously grant that, through this offering, we may do fitting homage to your divine majesty, and by partaking of the sacred mystery, we may be faithfully united in mind and heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God. For you so loved the world, that in your mercy you sent us the Redeemer, to live like us in all things but sin so that you might love in us what you loved in your Son, by whose obedience we have been restored to those gifts of yours that by sinning we had lost in disobedience. And so, Lord, with all the angels and saints, we too give you thanks, as in exaltation we acclaim, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. At the Saviour's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity, in accordance with your will, who live and reign for ever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Like the deer yearns for running streams, so my soul is yearning for you, my God. My soul is thirsting for God, the living God. Let us pray. 
Grant that your faithful, O Lord, whom you nourish and endow with life, through the food of your word and heavenly sacrament, may so benefit from your beloved Son's great gifts, that we may merit an eternal share in his life, who lives and reigns for ever and ever. Amen. Thanks everyone and bless you all, and may God's grace guide you each and every day. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go and announce the Gospel of the Lord. Faith, Hope and Love, a time of Christian worship and reflection, led by Rev. Paul W. Kelly. Texts are used for the purpose of worship and prayer for listeners wherever you are. The Roman Missal, Prayers and Chants, 3rd edition, copyright 2010, the International Commission on English in the Liturgy. The Bible, New Revised Standard Version, copyright 1989 and 2009, National Council of Churches of Christ, USA. The Psalms, copyright 1963, The Grail, Collins Publisher. Prayers of the Faithful, Robert Borg's Together We Pray, 1993, E.J. Dwyer, Australia. Mass for St. Ralph Sherwin, Jeffrey M. Ostrovsky, featuring The Gloria, copyright 2011, www.ccwatershed.org. Faith, Hope and Love theme, 1 Corinthians 13, 1-13, Original music, copyright 1996, Paul W. Kelly. For more details, please visit homilycatholic.blogspot.com.au Production by Kelly Enterprises Resources. May God bless and keep you.